Yeah, I mean, that's when I used to go watch them. I was younger at the time, and I would go watch them there, and there was always young kids, which I think is cool, like, not to get all philosophical about ska music, but I think there's a place for everything, right? Like, I always say our scene in Orange County is, like, very accepting. I would say the scene overall is very accepting of all different kinds of people and ages, and there's happy ska for when you're happy, and there's serious ska for when you want to be serious, and, you know, everything in between. <laughs> it's been a very long time since I've, I've been out to, I mean, to be fair, it's been a long time since I've been out to a show, period, for obvious pandemic-related reasons, but it's been a, a longer time since I've been out to a ska show specifically. When I used to go back as a youth, it was all, you know, it was a very sort of young scene, but um, given that a lot of the bands, yours certainly included, feature some you know older members. Is the audience maturing with the bands? Yes and no. So I feel like there's not a ton of young kids like flocking to live music in general. I would say young people in general, you know, like twenty and under, aren't really flocking to live music in general. There's so much competition just for eyeballs now, right? You have like social media and streaming and there's just like a lot. I could just be like an old person talking here and I, you know, I don't really know. I'm not a teenager. Um, but I feel like it's not that you can still be social with your friends online. Like when I was younger, you went to shows to be social and see other people and your friends and stuff. And I feel like there's just not as much of that going on. So with ska, I think kids are finding it online, which is super cool. And we're all sort of making this effort to sort of, you know, be online more. And I know like some bands like Catbite are like really strong on Twitter and TikTok. And I'm trying with TikTok. I'm not great at it. But you know, we tried with like YouTube and Instagram and things like that. So I think they're finding it more online as far as like at a show. It's usually there are some younger people there. But a lot of it is like parents bringing their younger kids. But then that turns into those kids bringing their friends, which is cool. And then you start to get more and more. But I'm curious post pandemic what it's going to be like people have been in their houses so long, maybe kids now are like, Oh, screw the iPhone. I do want to go see people. I work at a site called TechCrunch. Um, and I've been writing a fair bit about some of these people trying to do live event streaming, you know, obviously it was something that was big during the pandemic. And the question is, if and when people start returning to venues, whether or not that's going to continue to be a thing, whether or not people are still going to be interested in watching things remotely. Yeah, I feel like there is a big push in the industry, like more broadly to keep that going because it's easier. You don't have to put out as much cost. Um, You know, if you could do one live show somewhere in like a stadium, you're like whoever, Ariana Grande, you could do it in a stadium one time, but then broadcast it all over. Or like Blake Shelton did with the drive-ins. I feel like they want to push for that because that's easier. Like (laughs) there's way less overhead. But I don't think it will ever replace like the true feeling, right, of a live show. Um, But I don't know, maybe the wider audience at large, people who don't, aren't really super into music, they might be like, oh, cool, I'm going to watch Elton John or whatever. To be fair, you mentioned Ariana Grande, Elton John, Blake Shelton. We're talking fairly different scales here. No, no, for sure. I mean, we do like Twitch twice a week and that people are into that. So I think there is demand for access and seeing you and in more intimate ways, like Twitch is a lot more intimate and community building, at least from what we've seen, which is really cool. Like we have like a pretty active discord and like, there's like a lot of community there and, and everyone's super cool. And 
people build friendships and things like that. I think that's sort of cool, but I don't know about seeing a live concert, but you know, streaming it, but maybe it's just because I would rather go see it live. I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of bands doing that now that live shows are a thing. Intimate is an interesting word, you know, in the context of Twitch. Do you mean specifically intimate because it's your bands and not in the context of a larger event? Or do you feel like sort of part of adapting to social media is just kind of offering up more of yourself and size of yourself that you wouldn't necessarily see in a more uh, traditional model? This the latter. For sure. And I think with Twitch, like there's intimacy in the fact that like people are chat, like in the chat talking to you and you're responding live. I always joke and say it's like playing a show, but the audience is screaming at you and you have to like answer them. To be fair, that sounds horrible. No, no, but I really enjoy it because I've gotten to actually like make friends through like legit people I consider friends like through this. And I think that it's cool. And I think other people have made friends. I mean, with our show, we're going to play here in next month, like fans are flying in who are subs to our Twitch and they're hooking up and staying together and getting out Airbnb, you know, like people are like building a community. I think that's really cool. But yes, I think also with social media and then the constant need to create content, because if you're not constantly creating, you sort of just get brushed over and forgotten. You do have to give up more of yourself just because like, that's I for me, that's the way you fit it into your day. Like there just aren't enough hours to constantly be like churning stuff out. Like I've started posting like, Instagram stories when I don't makeup on. Like, I would never, that sounds vain as hell, but I would never do that before. But now I'm like, we just have to get it out there. And I'm like, well, these people have seen me be sweaty and this and that, like, whatever. <laughs> I'm sure, like, after a marathon show, you're probably looking pretty rough, like, regardless. Yeah. What are you talking about? I look amazing. No, yeah, for sure. My lipstick is always just everywhere and I can't seem to, like, avoid it. It's not a good show if you're not, like, a complete hot mess by the end of it. That's I think I feel like you, I, y'all didn't get your money's worth if I'm not also gross. <laughs> I don't know if vulnerability is the right word, but does that kind of thing come naturally to you? I, you know, I talk to a lot of bands who would prefer some kind of mystique and aren't necessarily doing a good job of adapting to a world where they do have to pull back the curtain to some degree. I am very, uh, a very open person. Sometimes like it's not good. Like, <laughs> I'm the friend that like is bad at keeping people's secrets. Like mm. I just, and I tell people I'm feeling all the time. It's not always great. Um, so I think for me, it doesn't bother me as much. We're very lucky. We have a, sm- like a small community, you know, like in comparison to other people. And so, so far everyone's like super cool. And I think it's harder when people are demanding of you. But, like, so far I haven't had, like, a a lot of people be very demanding or, like, needing a lot. You know what I mean? Like, I've, I've there's been articles going around, like, industry articles about how some fans are, like, giving out, like, a phone number and you can, like, text them. Like, to me, that might be a little much. Like, it's just, you know, because there's just not enough time to give people, like, attention and things like that. And sometimes people do, like, really just want your attention all the time. And I try to be nice because, like, obviously this person is, like, needing something, uh, needing community and, like, love in their life. And so you're just trying to, like, you know, be nice. But... It doesn't feel strange to me to be so open with people. Like, to me, it's just like having more friends. How was your mental health throughout the the last like year and a half? 
That's a tricky question. If you're talking about the pandemic, I fared pretty okay. Um, I had a really big, I would call, I guess, personal tragedy right before the pandemic started. So that was like, I think that made my quarantine a little bit harder. But also it forced me to grieve, which was kind of good because I probably would have shoved it under the rug and just like kept trucking and been like, you know, we had all these floors playing. You think that the pandemic, just the fact that you had to sort of take a moment and pause because there's nothing else going on afforded you the opportunity to really reflect on the horror yes and I think in a way that was good because I kind of got all the grieving out at the front like you know a lot of times I tell people who like are suffering a loss I go like grief is like a box and like you can open it today and you can deal with it for a couple hours then you have to shut it but because we had nowhere to go I sort of just opened it and I sat in it (laughs) and it was horrible and then I sort of I think worked through it a little faster than I might have if I'd come home and been like, okay, now we're going to play like shows and we're going to go on this tour with real big fish in the aquabats. And we're doing this and this. I don't know if I would have worked through it as much or, and so I don't know, maybe it was healthier. Maybe it was like ripping off the band-aid. I don't know. <laughs> Obviously this is purely hypothetical and, you know, God forbid anything of that nature ever happens again. But I mean, do you think you could have just got on stage and played with the aquabats that soon after something like that happened? Um, Yes, because you sort of get, you sort of compartmentalize in a way. Like I could still like do my life. I noticed if we're being like, look, this is all honest and intimate here. Look, see, this is the thing. I can never shut up. No, like I would be okay until I was like with people, like if we were drinking and all of a sudden it was all I wanted to talk about and I was not fun to be around for a little bit. And that's when I was like, okay, you got to like work through this. You can't just keep, I had a friend be like, are you sure you don't need to go to therapy? And I was like, oh, I'm not shutting up about it all the time. (laughs) But when I get to bring it up with things, you know, I've sort of channeled it into my band persona in a way in that I'm much more aware of the issue of suicide. And it's a really big issue in our country, especially of young people. And so I like that I can, you know, try and make that a point to tell people that like, you know, you can always talk to me. Like I'll talk to anybody about it. Like if you feel alone, like you're not like, I'll be your friend, <laughs> you know? And, and I think that's, what's cool. Like with community building in a band is like, there's people you can reach out to and, and stuff like that. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was the broad spectrum of not just styles, but themes that fall under the larger banner of, of ska music as a genre that at its heart and its origin is very much it's, it's dance music. It's, it's escapist music, you know, and certainly a lot of what you do falls into that. I mean, it, do you think that what you do as a band affords you the opportunity to potentially tackle something that big and dark and dramatic in music? Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't call ska escapist in that if we go back to like, you know, rock steady on like 60 ska, like there's a lot of like colonialism being discussed. And then in two tone, you get a lot of like racism being discussed and colonialism um, being discussed there. I think the escapist ska sort of comes in third wave ska, quote unquote. That's fair thematically, generally musically, you know, I consider it to be a a genre where it's like, and people are living very hard lives in Jamaica going out and dancing to a sound system and you know it's something that they can do on like weekends to like escape this difficulty well, yeah of- and I think a lot of um that I think sometimes too the songs sound like happy and peppy but like lyrically they can be darker so I get your point anyway sorry I just like getting into the weeds there but no to answer your question yeah we've been working on 
a song that is sort of addressing that issue. We haven't finished it. I think part of it is every time I try, it's hard for me. And I know like, oh, it's again, opening that box, right? Like it's kind of hard. We've been working on that. We try to um, use the messaging and like we're teaming up with this charity called Punk Rock Saves Lives and they like try to help people find mental health services. So like we have them come out to our shows and I just try to be a big like, hey, remind people like, hey, check on your friends. I try to tell people, you know, hey, if you're feeling alone, like here's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline or because I do think right now is a scary time for all of us in in the world in that people have been isolated. There's a lot of like overdose deaths. There's a lot of suicide. And I think the hardest part is, like I said, the numbers amongst young children are just like so high. And so if they can find community and maybe some uh, quote unquote escapism in in the music that we like to sort of push friendship and and you're not alone and and things like that. Has songwriting been that release valve or been a a source of catharsis for you or you know, at the very least, a way of sort of dealing with not this topic necessarily, but just issues in your life generally. Yeah, it is. But those songs rarely get recorded. Why is that? Um, Because I think sometimes in Bite Me Bambi as a project, like people don't want to hear like <laughs> my sadness, you know, in a way. And so I think like people want to hear like catchy melodies and fun lyrics and and sometimes like I'll try to address things like sexism or um, racism or classism like our song Carried Away is like all about classism in America and it's sort of wrapped in this more like fun sounding peppy package and so we do get into that but like my and I think it's not so much that people don't want to hear my innermost horrible thoughts it's mainly that I don't want people to hear them in that like they're not good songs like I write them and then I go like wow this sucks and then I sort of move on I mean it's hard for anybody to be super earnest and it's hard to pour your heart out and not feel like you're getting too far into sort of like navel gazy emo territory yeah although man 19 year old me love to write songs just about all my heartache and problems and play them in front of people um I don't know why people would listen my favorite was a song I wrote about how like hopeless I felt about my student debt that had the lyrics fuck you fuck me we all get fucked eventually always went over horribly at the bars we were playing so it seems like a pretty universal sentiment that I would assume people can get behind well I think sometimes when you see like a small I you know at the time I probably looked like I was like 15 you get there you just start screaming fuck you fuck me and I don't know so into it. It's probably a sense like what, you know, if you're like, if you're older in a bar and see a 19 year old and of just like, what have you dealt with that, <laughs> that you feel like you. And I look back on me now and I go like, girl, buckle up. <laughs> but hey, privilege, right? <laughs> we all get fucked. It does seem to, for a lot of us tend to kind of snowball, I guess, a little bit as we continue to go through life, like a, like a big Katamari Damasi just picking up real, real shitty Thanks. Yeah, and then I look at my life and I'm like, you know what? Honestly, I don't really got much to complain about, so it's kind of pretty funny. So try to highlight the voices of those who are uh, uh, have real struggles. <laughs> How long have you been actually out there playing music? I think I started. I was 18, so I, I started in like musical theater as a child. Um, then I became like a tele- none of this surprises me at all yet. Then I became a child actor, like in television and film. And then I think I quit when I was like twenty five. I did that for quite a while. 
Um, and then you're not acting anymore. Not really. I would, I might go back to it someday, but it was taking up a lot of my time and, um, uh, mental energy. I just couldn't do it. I would look at my friends who are in the industry and they like love it. Like my friend, Karen, um, who's in Chase Long Beach. Um, like she loves being an actor. And I was like, wow, you love this. You know, who doesn't love this that much? Me. I was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing this then. And what's funny is like when she was in Chase Long Beach, she was like having fun, but she was like, I really want to be an actor. And I was acting being like, man, I really wish I could front a ska band. But I was in karate and my band karate in the garage from the time I was like 18 until I was maybe 25, 24, 25. And so that's what I was doing then. That's I ate when I was 18. I learned to play the guitar and started that band. And then, um, bite me Bambi. After I left that band, we started bite me Bambi. What's your sense of why acting wasn't for you? Uh, a couple of things. One I think is, um, anxiety. I would get so anxious that I would do poorly, uh, on set something about all these people waiting on you and the money being spent. And I would just get like really anxious and I would, I would screw up. I'd screw up a lot and they'd have to do retakes for me and, and all this stuff. And so as much as I thought I wanted that, the pressure was just really hard. And then I started to think like, Oh my gosh, what if I was like a series regular and I was the main character and I couldn't like produce, like it was just a lot. And also I think I loved once I started playing music I just loved it so much more. It's like everything I loved. It's like live performance and you get to sort of be yourself. And I guess maybe I'm just a big old ham, but I love telling my own story and and things like that. And so as T-Bone always says, like there's, there's people who are musicians and there's people who are like entertainers. Like I'm an entertainer. I'm in it for the claps, you know? The anxiety thing is is really interesting as far as acting goes, because I assume that every time they have to reset and do another take, it, it probably just spirals. Yep. And the whole thing about like simple things like finding your mark and finding your light. And I'm trying to remember my lines because I'm nervous while I'm walking around. Like any scene where like we were doing dances, things like that, that I ensemble style, I was way better at. But yeah, every time I'd be like, cut okay I remember when I was on Glee it was like I kept screwing up and kept screwing up they actually took a break and did something else and they come back to me and I was like wow I suck at this I'm so horrible <laughs> like and then it just spirals out of control they must have seen something in you if you were getting jobs on network television yeah I don't think I was a bad actor like I think I could do it it was like just couldn't get out of my own head so like because auditioning I was good at I mean that's how I get the jobs because I did it so much I mean I auditioned like five days a week several times a day like it was like nonstop, and that I got used to I didn't have the anxiety anymore in those rooms because I was used to it or I knew the casting directors it was you know I was more familiar it was once we were on set and it's like all these people there and you're wasting money because you're wasting time (laughs) it sounds like it's something that you're kind of keeping in your back pocket you said that it's something you might go back to at some point maybe one day because I did enjoy parts of it I did really enjoy and parts of it I do not miss so I never say never because if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. So I never like to say like, oh, I'll never do that because you, you never know. I, if you truly hated it, though, it's not something that you would like have in your back pocket. That's true. Well, and I think part of the things that made it more stressful was like money and time and just a lot of other things. But maybe when I'm like a little old lady, I'll be like, yeah, let's do it again. Call up my old peeps and be like, 
get me back in, you know? Community theater is a thing that exists, but it doesn't seem like people really necessarily do acting as a hobby in the same way they do other art forms or creative pursuits like, you know, like music. No, there are a lot of people who do. They just, they just want to audition for little roles or because that's the thing is like, they're always pushing you, which is good. I mean, that's your manager's job is to push you for bigger and bigger roles. And I would get bigger and bigger agents until I was at like one of the top four agencies. And it's like, they are like, Hey, why aren't you booking a lead role and everything where I'm like, can I just go back to like when I had two lines and it was like low pressure, but like nobody wants that. Cause you're not making the money when you only say two lines. So there are people who they call them career co-stars. Like that's what they do. And they're fine with that. They're, it's like, you know, people who are stay at home parents. They got their like baby with them at the audition or whatever. Like there's people who do that. Maybe instead of like gardening when I'm older, I'll just like be the where's the beef lady or something. You know, <laughs> I hear you can just sort of you get one national commercial spot and you're you're good for a while. It sounds like that's not true. That's not true. Is that not true? <laughs> Well, depends on good for a while. I was in an Olympics commercial, so I guess it doesn't air long when you're in an Olympics commercial, but a Visa Olympics commercial for the Rio Olympics. And it did not, I was not good for a while. Though those stories are like when you're like, you know, flow from progressive. Yeah, you're good. Or, you know, or ones that just get played over and over and over again. But the Olympics, it was like a finite amount of time they could run it because the Olympics were over. But yeah, it just depends. It depends, you know, what you, they negotiate for you or whatever. I mean, it was a pretty good payday, but it didn't last me forever. <laughs> that sense of anxiety of, you know, of sort of, I guess, like having a whole room full of people, not only just like staring at you, but in some ways, I guess, having your their livelihood sort of depending on your, your ability to execute on, on your job. Is that not, you don't get a sense of that at all in being, not just being in a band, but being, you know, kind of really the the face and front person of a band? I get nervous before shows, but not like debilitatingly so. And I think it's a confidence thing. Like I know when I go out there, like I can sing the songs. I know how to do the performance. Like I can do that part. Whereas with film, I feel like I didn't have the confidence. So I would feel like I couldn't do it. And oh, maybe I it will all come tumbling down and they'll know that I'm not good and whatever. I think just, I don't know, from doing, well, I guess that's not true because I was gonna say, oh, I've been in bands for so long that I'm just used to it. But I was an actor longer. <laughs> and I never got used to it. So, so one day you decide that you're not going out for auditions anymore. You're not doing that anymore. Do you, you just sort of, do you officially kind of quit that part of your life in order to pursue the next thing? Um, it sort of went in phases. My manager called and I was like crying and he was like, okay, well, why don't you take a break? Let's take a couple months off. And that's what they do. But, and so I was like, cool. Okay. And then I was like, oh no, I'm never going back. <laughs> and so then I called and it was like, oh, I was so sick. I did not want to tell them. And then I had really, really great managers and they were like, oh, we knew. That's why you stopped booking things because people can tell when you don't want the jobs. And I was like, oh, fair enough. They're like, we were just waiting for you to figure it out. And I was like, cool. And I was lucky to my managers. They were like punk rockers, like the head honcho at the management company I was at. She used to tour manage for like Slayer. Like they were cool and they knew I really loved playing music. And so they weren't shitty about it. They were like, no, go, go play ska. Have a great time. <laughs> because it's their job, they can't be the ones to tell you that that you shouldn't be doing this. 
there's a there's a lot of coddling. I mean, not believe me, Susan Ferris, man, she's a, a tough cookie. But there's a, when you're an actor, there's a lot of like, you're so great, like that's their job, like you're paying them to do that. The experience on their end of calling somebody and they just start crying is probably not like super uncommon. No, all the time. I and. It's like life problem. I mean, like Susan would get called to bail people out of jail. And like, it's all when it's managers, like they manage your life. It's like they do it. all. I'll never forget. I had a meeting for um, I was getting a new agent. And this was like the big time, right? I'm like meeting all these big agents. And I was hung over because I played a show the night before. And I called Susan and I was like, please don't be mad at me. I'm so hungover. And I heard her go, hold on. And she goes, hey, uh, Ashley, can you call over to such and such and tell them Talina has the flu? Yeah, she's not going to be able to make that meeting today. She does not feel well. And she goes, you get one. And then she hung up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're the best. But like, that's the kind of stuff they would do, you know? They wanted me to be happy. Anybody who makes a, a career change like that, you know, anybody who's been whether or not you knew it was something that you didn't want to do, you were, you were serious about it for a while and you were actively pursuing it. And you were, as you said, you know, going to five or however many auditions a week. So even if it's something that you, you know, came to the realization wasn't for you necessarily, it's still hard to quit something. It's still hard to quit something that you've invested so much of your life into regardless. Yes. And a couple parts of it, like, on one hand, it was hard because my family had sacrificed a lot to make it happen. Like I started when I was 15, my mom drove me to all the auditions and she always says, I'll never regret it because she loved all the time we spent together, which it's true. We have really good memories of, you know, doing stuff in LA. It's a nice mom thing to say. It is, but they sacrificed a lot. And I mean, even with like singing, like they paid for all these voice lessons, you know, like my parents just have always been my number one fans and cheerleaders. And so that I felt guilty in that sense. Like I had my uncle passed away and I could not be there to say goodbye to him because I was testing for a TV show. Like those were things I looked back and I was like, I wish I'd said goodbye to my uncle instead of testing for that TV show. But at the time everybody was like, no, no, you got to stay. You got to do, you know, my family was like, you should stay. And now I, I felt guilty quitting because of all those sacrifices. They seemed like they were for nothing and the money spent and everything. And then on the other hand, losing your identity is very hard. Like the thing you use to describe yourself to people is difficult. And I was kind of lucky in that, like, you know, I'm in this band with like Brian Mashburn and T-Bone Willie, and they had sort of at some point in their lives taken like day jobs after like leaving say Ferris, they were in these transitions. They've had to do that. And they were, they were really helpful in giving me advice on what it's like to sort of be like, Oh, this thing that I, I am, I am not this anymore. And now I'm this other thing, you know, beyond this sort of be a very supportive thing that your mom said, what does your family say when you say not only, not only do I not want to act anymore, but I want to be a professional ska musician. <laughs> not acting. They understood um, but my mom was like, I wish you'd held a little longer. She always says that she goes, I think you quit. You gave up a little too soon. Maybe if you take a little more of a break. Cause it's true. Like I was like very much on the like cusp of like, Oh, it's about to happen. But I just like, like my managers had said, they were like, you're not booking. Cause they can tell you don't want to be there. You, you, they can sense it right when you walk in that room. And so I think if you had gone from cusp to what it whatever comes next to cusp you couldn't have quit if you had broken through it would have been so much harder to to back away 
And I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to pull the ripcord because I was afraid that I would not be able to carry a TV show or a movie. Like that's where we were at like testing to be the leads on shows and, and the leads in movies. And it's where it- you also just can't quit. I mean, people have, but you can't quit when you're a lead at a TV show. Like, no, yeah. Everyone's livelihoods are dependent on you. And like, I just think that's what part of why I was like, I gotta get out of here. Like <laughs> the last exit on the freeway. Yeah, kind of. And it would have been nice to sort of feel like, Oh, it was all worth it. Right. The sacrifice and stuff. But I think I'm much happier now that I'm not doing it because um, I just, my life has like more structure and I have more control. Um, you know, if I want to go on vacation, I, I can. Like when you're an actor, you're not allowed to leave. <laughs> you can't go anywhere or they make you work while you're on vacation. They make you, you know, audition and send in tapes and it's like always all the time. At least uh, now I feel like I have a little more control over my life. They're similar in that there are these sort of long stretches of downtime in both jobs. But with music, you have a little, I think there's things you can always be doing to keep yourself busy. In acting, it's a lot of waiting. Yeah, you can take acting classes and this and that. But with music, it's like, well, we always got to start working on that next album. Or there's merch orders to be shipped out. Or, you know, now it's Twitch stream. I mean, I tell people, I do Buy Me Bambi almost seven days a week. (laughs) Like, it's, oh, you know, it's all the time there's something to get done. So, oh, sorry, not to bring it back, but I remember what you said. You were saying how my parents felt about me wanting to play ska music. They're ska fans, so they were very happy about that decision. (laughs) Maybe a better way of framing it is of the two of like being a professional act actor and or being a professional musician, which is sort of the more lofty dream. Yeah, I get your point there. I guess for me, the difference, like personally was expectation. Like for acting, I was like, let's shoot for the stars. And like, I know I play like a sub like a subculture style of music. Like I don't have any lofty like I'm gonna play stadium. Like, you know, I'm just happy to like have people who dig my music and get to play cool shows and do cool things. And I'm happy with that. So but I get your point of like telling somebody like, okay, I'm quitting being an actor to be a musician. They're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Because you were set on this specific genre you feel like that has gone a ways towards like tempering your your ambitions I guess is a way of putting it yeah and also just like the way the music industry is today like with the internet like everything is niche but in a way I think that's cool like because if you like ska music like you can find us pretty easily because of the internet and niche subcultures and things like it's you know we have fans all over the world where before maybe it, it wouldn't have been that way. But yeah, I, I read the um, NoFX book. What is it called? Hepatitis Bathtub. And I think is, I think it's Fat Mike who's saying like, oh yeah, I'm paraphrasing here, but like, oh, those the bands that keep getting bigger and bigger and then one day they have to step back and play a thousand seater venue. Everybody notices, but if you just play thousand seater venues <laughs> forever, nobody nobody will notice if there's a decline or whatever. And I was like, it's the smartest thing I've ever heard. Like just maintain and and like things like corn, right? Like corn has all these really loyal fans because they put in the time to build the loyal fans. And so these people, when corn fell out of like mainstream favor, people were still like, we still love you. You know, we want to support you. <laughs> and so I think that that's, that's cool. That's a good place to be. I mean, acting's not dissimilar from the standpoint of if you go from starring in a TV show to just having, or, you know, or, or starring in a movie to having like one line on a TV show, like people, people are also going to notice that decline. Yes. 
the difference is as an actor, you are still beholden to people giving you the job. You were still auditioning. If you're a musician, like I could literally book a show at a bar tomorrow and it won't matter if there's people there or if anybody likes it. Like I could do it for myself and like I have the power to create those moments and the things to happen. Acting, you are beholden unless you're going to be like, I'm making my own short film. And a lot of people do that and that's great, but like that is more rare. Like you're mostly just going to people going like, please give me this job. Look how cool I am or whatever. And, you know, and it's up to them. And it could literally be like, oh, you're like three pounds too heavy. I remember being told a lot. I went vegan. I don't know, maybe like five years ago. And I remember them telling me like, oh, I lost weight. They go, oh, you're finally CW hot now. We can start sending you for CW shows. Like it's so much of like that of like, you're too Asian. You are not Asian enough. You are like, there's so many variables that are just so difficult and it all has to line up. In music, I can be like, hey, do you like this song I wrote? Cool. I'm going to play a show over here and whatever, you know? You're right, obviously, in that, you know, you, you could you could just book a show at a, at a bar tomorrow and, you know, people may show up or or may not show up, but the math changes dramatically once you're like, all right, this is my thing that I'm doing. Like, this is, this is my job now. Uh, yes. I feel like I should let you in on a little secret here. It's not my job. (laughs) I mean, it's my job in that I spend a lot of time doing it. Like it's a job. It's not my job. You had said day jobs before it, like it was a dirty word. So I was like, oh, she must be doing great. No, no. I, uh, so there's a little secret. I'm an accountant. So <laughs> as far as like day jobs go of being a band, that's a really good one. Talk about something that bands need and don't have. <laughs> well, and I don't like calling it like a day job. Like I've realized I used to be like, oh, my real job is this. And then I play in this game. But honestly, like you put so much time and effort into like your, my band, like it's, it's a job. It's another job I have. I, Rent a scabin and I'm an accountant and I do whatever. You know what I mean? Like, but it's nice to have another job because then it gives more freedom and flexibility in the decisions that we make as a band. It's not so dire or we can maybe take a gig where we're not making as much money, but it was like really cool or whatever because there's more flexibility in that. So are you just like first half of April, you're like, no, we, there's no touring uh yeah we don't really do anything january february the entire the the entire lead up to we try to like stockpile songs um but yeah it's a little it's a little slower there but how did you get into accounting oh no now we're gonna talk about this nobody wants to hear about this i'd love to talk about accounting i'm like I don't talk about it much because i feel like it's just like eh, whatever but no i don't know i i do bookkeeping and family friend did taxes and she said if you love bookkeeping you should do taxes did you love bookkeeping yeah i do i'm and i'm like i'm an enrolled agent like i represent people before the irs like it's all whatever so it would have been a very different conversation with i assume your parents and like everyone else in your life to say i'm not acting anymore i'm going to be in a ska band and that is my full-time job um well at the time it did not i was not an accountant so okay so that's a more recent occurrence Yes. So it was more like that. I mean, they knew I part of the reason I quit acting, honestly, was to find another job because I was tired of the stress of not knowing if I was going to have 
a paycheck. It was just a lot. And that was really one of the reasons why I quit was I was like, I have to find like another career to do. And the cool thing with music was I could keep doing it at the level that I wanted to, but still be able to like, I don't know, pay my rent, you know? (laughs) Do you manage the band's books? We also have a member in our band that is like a vice president of a bank. So okay, we're, we're pretty rock solid on, on the financials. There's definitely a benefit of, of, of starting this band with people who have very much been through the ringer before, like have very much like seen everything. And, and, you know, like certainly in the case of, you know, say Ferris, the heights of this specific genre and then everything that came after. I mean, that must be, it must be useful to, have that perspective around you yeah it it really is and it's helpful in a lot of ways like i've just learned a lot especially from brian mashburn just like in songwriting and and whatnot and i've learned a lot about the business from like two different sides like say ferris you know they were like mainstream success and then um our keyboard player mike was in my superhero which they didn't reach those heights but they were still like hustling during the 90s and playing lots of shows and touring and, and getting a lot of accolades they just didn't have like the big sony budget and so i've learned a lot from like both of those perspectives of like the best way to do things and they just have a lot of knowledge about (laughs) those things which is cool and yeah the perspective of like you know when everybody always goes like do you think ska is gonna get mainstream again i go like it does it doesn't matter because for those of us who play it we're playing it because we love it like you wouldn't play it if you didn't like it like there's no reason to and also, like, if it does become mainstream again, six bands are going to get record deals, whatever a record deal means anymore. And then it's just, it's gone. Six bands get record deals and, like, one or two of them are actually bona fide success stories. Exactly. And then it's, as quickly as it began, it's gone. And you have to make wise choices during the times where it's happening to sort of set yourself up for when it's not anymore, you know? it would be great to do this for a living for a while. And, and, and obviously you want to get yourselves out there in front of as many people as possible. Yeah. I, I would, I wouldn't turn down if they were like, okay, we're like going on this big tour and it's happening. Like, yeah, of course. Um, and then we're, I'm lucky in that the job I do is like, there's like a fair amount of flexibility in it. So, um, but yeah, I, I would, I would go do it because I, I always say like, I want to do like one really good tour, like to have the experience. Cause a lot of my bandmates have had those experiences and I haven't. And so I'm like, Oh, it'd be cool to like have that one experience. And then sort of like after that, eh, if it happens, it happens. <laughs> it does and it doesn't. Specifically with people who have been like doing this for like 25, 30 years, the fact that they keep coming back to it is because it's something that they just really enjoy doing. I don't think anybody else in the band probably is doing it because they think it's going to make them, you know, the next rock star. No, no, that's for sure. And I feel like that's like, in a lot of interviews I do, like, that's a big question. Like, oh, you think Scott's making a comeback or whatever. And I'm like, in the reality of it, I feel like the people who play this genre of music, we don't talk about that that much, honestly. We're just like doing what we love and it's cool that people are enjoying it. And there's been a lot of like buzz and press lately of like, oh, is Ska making a comeback or whatever? And this and that and like, you know, bigger artists, pop artists, mainstream artists have like Ska influence in the music and whatnot. And I'm like, does that really matter? Like, it's cool. Good for them. 
But, you know, I'm just trying to focus on what I can control and I can control like the music I put out and how I make people feel and, and the show we put on. This must be something that you're attuned to as somebody who is both in a ska band and who is an accountant. But I always think of that onion. You remember that onion story of something like uh, ska bands outnumbers audience? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Aaron Barrett said in the ska movie, anything divided by 10 is zero. Again, they're like very like pragmatic, practical concerns of s- touring in a, in a band with a horn section. Yeah, it's not cheap to have everybody. And I always joke, like, if look, if I wanted to make money, I'd play in a four-piece band, like, or whatever, you know? But I, I'm just, I'm having a good time. And like I said, there's flexibility and, like, you know, having other sources of revenue and, and being able to, you know, um, pick and choose things you want to do because of that. Are you ramping up to full touring at some point in the near future? Uh, yeah, we've got... It's it's hard, like you said, with so many people, like scheduling is hard. And families and children now. Yeah, that's another thing. So it has to be sort of like the right package at the right time. But I think we will, you will be seeing us going out more um, out of town, even if it's just things that are like drivable for us in Southern California. I, we are flying and doing some fly out shows and stuff too. So we're definitely going to be getting out of town more that COVID is over, but for us to be like, let's get a van and hit the road. Like, I don't know. It have to be like pretty good circumstances and everything's sort of lining up correctly. To name your EP, hurry up and wait as the van was, was ramping up the way it was. How much is this just completely taking the wind out of your sails? Not totally. I mean, yes, to do the Aquabats real big fish tour, that would have been awesome to do. Like we were, you know, we had other tours. We had Europe, we had Australia, you know, we did these things that were in the works and it felt like we were like building up and it did take it out a little bit, but I think, I'm very grateful that we were able to keep doing like music videos, Twitch, keep in contact with people, stay on people's minds, things like that. Um, I think that was very helpful. And so I think I'm hoping maybe those opportunities still sort of roll in um, uh, as time goes on. I just have to keep the faith, you know? (laughs) 